and see who did not prepare a special number for tonight. This is, this is an unusual service. Shall I announce next? Shall we all agree that next Sunday I announce? No, I would never do that. Would never do that. I know it's not me. It's not my wife. It's not. I'm responsible for music. My myself and my wife. That's all she wrote for us. So you're not in my family. <laughs> if you if you know who it is, don't say anything now or later. We'll just let it go because nobody's perfect. We all forget things. Okay, take your Bibles, please, and turn to the book of Ephesians. We'll continue our study of Ephesians. Say, Pastor, if you just found out that you were preaching late this afternoon, so how could you throw together this message for Ephesians? Are you thinking that? You don't understand your pastor. Okay, I, I, I cannot... I know I'm 100% confident it is God's will for me to retire at the end of June but it doesn't mean it will be easy for me, as I've said before. I cannot even imagine uh, not coming to the office and studying the Bible to preach. So just the fact that I wasn't preaching this today in the morning or night, that didn't mean that there was no studying for preaching this week. I, I can't do that, okay? So I just came and did prepared my message for next week and that didn't know that I'd be preaching it tonight, okay? So I just, when I, I, when I get up, I just want to go to the office and study the Bible and get ready to preach. That's just the way I am. It'll be a big adjustment for me, for me, but I know it is God's will. So I'm ready to preach. I was ready to preach this next Sunday. I'll preach it tonight. If you will, please, we're in Ephesians chapter 6 as we continue our study of the book of Ephesians. Last Sunday night in our messages, uh, in our message on Ephesians, we concluded the last, the, the, we concluded the section of the book that began in chapter 5, verse 18, and it went all the way through chapter 6, verse 9. We will not go back and review that material, just to remind you that there was two main themes there. First of all, it all began in chapter 5, verse 18, where we read, and be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Do not let wine control your thinking and your life. But in how, how wine does that as an alcoholic beverage, God says, let it also, but let you remember now that that being filled with the Spirit, uh, that's what happens. What you normally would not do on your own, you would not be your real self. Uh, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's amazing how, what we can think, what we can say, what we can do when God's Spirit fills us, when he controls us, when he dominates us, that we become somebody that we really are not, and we have to look back and say, to God be the glory, great things he hath done. That all started when chapter 5, verse 18, and then there were some results of being spirit-filled, okay? There were several in 18 and 19, 20, leading up to 21, and that began that last, that, that last part of that section, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God, that when a person is spirit-filled in his relationships with his, uh, in a relationship with a wife or a husband, or parents or children, a slave, servant, whoever, in all the different relationships of life, there will always be mutual submission. We all have a role to fulfill. We have our job description, but it's never, I'm in charge, I know what I'm doing, so get out of my way. It's always, there's always mutual submission. That started in chapter 5, verse, 9, uh, verse 21, and it went all the way through as we saw last Sunday in chapter 6, verse 9, and ye masters do the same things unto them, your servants, your slaves, for bearing threatening knowing that your master also is in heaven neither is there respect of persons with him now notice if you will please chapter 6 verse 10 out loud please what's the first verse of this section together have you ever heard a pastor say finally and five minutes later you wondered why he said that ten minutes later you're still wondering 
15 minutes later, and you say, yeah, pastor, I think you could look in the mirror. And I don't use that word funny too often. I might say last of all, which means the same thing, okay? But I do know a pastor that uh, I've heard preach many, many times, and when he says finally, I just ignore it. He doesn't really mean it or he doesn't know what he's saying or he has a different definition, I'm not sure. But now, God, of course, is leading Paul here to, to write. Paul's the human author, but we know that all scriptures give by inspiration of God. And when Paul says in chapter 6, verse 10, finally, uh, he really means that. It means just that. It is the beginning now. There's only, there's only really one major section left in this epistle, and it begins in chapter 6, and it goes to the end of the chapter. So finally here is truly finally. It's the closing section of the letter, and we could, if we wanted to, stay. Instead of the word finally, we could use the phrase last of all. It means the same, okay, same in the Greek language, last of all or finally. And the subject here is the Christian and his spiritual warfare. The Christian and his spiritual warfare. Do you remember how the book of Ephesians started? It wasn't all about war, so to speak. It wasn't about conflict or strife. In fact, go back to chapter 1. I will not re-preach it. It's been a long time ago, over a year, in fact, I think. Or maybe not that long. Who knows? But uh, chapter 1, if you will, please, just look at those first seven verses and just see what this is all about. First, uh, uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. And let me just kind of summarize, if, if I could, first. It's all about our position in Christ. I mean, that is the key phrase, in Christ. In Christ, in Christ. And it's about our position in Christ. It's, a, it's an encouraging passage. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints which are at Ephesus, to the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath, here's a key phrase, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. Two words, please. In Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him, before when? Before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted. Here it is again, in the beloved, the Lord Jesus Christ. In whom, this is all in Christ, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. This is all about being in Christ. It's our privilege of being saved, being in the Lord. And again, that key verse was back there in chapter 1, verse 3. In fact, let's read that together out loud. Please go back to verse 3. Ephesians 1, 3, and read it with me, please. Here we go. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Where are these spiritual blessings? In heavenly places. So really what we have here is the fact that we are positionally in Christ. Right now, spiritually, we are in Christ. We are seated with him in heaven right now, but... I think you would agree, I hope you would agree, physically, where are we? We're, we're still on the earth. And if there's one word that ought to summarize the Christian life on the earth, it's probably the word war, okay, spiritual war. If you're not aware of the fact that there's a spiritual war going on in the world, there, there's, you're not thinking right. 
If you're not aware of the fact that there's a spiritual war going on in our country, you don't understand some things. And I'll go another step further. If you don't think there's a spiritual war going on in your Christian life, you are sadly mistaken. You don't understand what Christianity is all about. How many songs are there in just our hymn book about being soldiers, about fighting for the Lord? I mean, there are so many hymns and gospel songs about the subject of the Christian warrior because there's a Christian battle going on, and somebody said, you know, we want to sing about in the, the song, the gospel song, the sweet by and by, but right now we're living in the, you tell me, yeah, the nasty now, now. Thank you, Frank, you must be experiencing, okay? He said, no, let's not always be thinking about the sweet by and by, but yeah, that's wonderful now, but don't forget now we're living in the nasty now, now. And that's what this last section of Ephesians is all about. It's all about spiritual war. So we're seated with Christ spiritually in the heavenlies, but physically we are still on this earth, and that means there's war going on every day. Notice, please, if you will, Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10. Finally, my brethren, like the rest of the book of Ephesians, this passage, of course, is written to all true believers. So really, brethren here are, of course, Christians. Every Christian needs this message. Why? Because every Christian is a soldier. You know the gospel song, Am I a soldier of the cross? Remember that one? A follower? Yeah. Am I a soldier? We ought to stop and say, Am I a soldier of the cross? Everybody say, Yes. Okay, we are. If we're a Christian now, we are a soldier. And Paul, Paul says, Finally, my brethren, every Christian needs this message. Why? Because every Christian is a Christian soldier engaging in spiritual battle, and there are no exceptions. So the question really is not, am I a soldier? The question is, what kind of soldier am I? It's not a question, am I a soldier? It's how victorious have I been in my Christian life so far as I look back? As I look back to when I was saved and after I was saved, and as I look back to last year or last month or last week or yesterday in the past, how successful have I been? How victorious have I been as a Christian soldier? And then along with that, how victorious am I today as a Christian soldier? You know, sometimes, as Paul said in Philippians, forgetting those things which are behind reaching forth to those things which are before. So sometimes we have to forget those things be, that are behind, and it could be things of defeat and also things of victory. So how victorious have we been in the past? Good question. What's a fair answer? How victorious are we right now in our Christian life? Who's winning the battle right now in our Christian life? And then if God gives us more time, more days or weeks or months or years, how are we going to do in the future? Are we going to be victorious in the Christian life tomorrow? You say, well, I don't, you know, hey, I don't like to think about tomorrow because, you know, you say my favorite verse is Matthew 6, 34. It's one of my favorite verses too. What does that say? Therefore, take no thought for tomorrow. The morrow for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient in the day is the evil thereof. But that doesn't have anything to do with what we're preaching tonight. That, that whole passage, Matthew 6, beginning at verse 25, is all about not worrying about things, not fearing about life's necessities like clothes and food and so forth because I mean, you give a whole bunch of reasons there why it is foolish and sinful and, I mean, it's just plain wrong to be worried about what happens if I starve tomorrow, what happens if I run out of food tomorrow, run out of clothes tomorrow. He says in verse 33, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. And then he says, Take therefore no thought for tomorrow. So don't worry about having food and clothes tomorrow. 
But don't forget, there's a verse also about tomorrow, so to speak, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, and that's a different context. Where God says, take heed, lest ye fall, right? How's the verse start? 1 Corinthians 10, 12. Let him that thinketh, let him that thinketh he standeth. You finish it now. Take heed, lest he fall. And that follows those first few verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. It's all about the Israelites in the wilderness. They're wandering from Egypt to Canaan. They all were in the cloud. They all were under Moses, but they didn't all enter the promised land, right? With many of them, it says God was not well. He was not pleased. He was, not, he was displeased with many of them. Many of them died in the wilderness. And so God says, because they were idolaters, because they were spiritual adulterers, because they were covetous, because they were murmurs, and he gives several different problems that they had, he says, they, they, they fell, they died in the wilderness. He says, don't let that happen to you. He says, and he says, these things were written for your admonition. These things are written for your instruction, for your example, so that you would not follow their example. So when, and he ends that whole passage by saying, Therefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. Listen, everyone ought, well, every one of us ought to be asking, you know, I wonder where I'll be spiritually if God gives me another year. Where will I be spiritually next year? Come to the end of this year. What's that, about seven months away? I wonder where I'll be spiritually. wonder where I'll be next month. How about next week? So we're thinking, okay, listen, listen. Things are not getting any easier. Things are not getting any better, so to speak. As a Christian living in today's world, life is getting more complex. Life is getting a little bit more uh, fearful or concerning and so forth. And you say, hey, the pressure is on. I mean, the pressure is mounting. And where will I be spiritually? Uh, all the way to the coming of the Lord or when I go to be with the Lord? Those are fair questions. And that's what this whole passage is all about. He says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. Lord, and the power of his might, put on the whole armor of God that you might be that, that you might stand against the wiles of the devil. And he wrestle not. We're going to get into this whole passage. So it's like, okay, now the battle is raging now, and it's going to keep ra raging. So you better get ready. And that's what this passage is all about. So how are we going to be doing spiritually tomorrow? We hesitate to say that any verse of the Bible is more important than any other verse. I, I don't like to say that every verse is important. Amen. And we don't like to say that some passage is more important than some other passage. But you would all agree that there are some passages that, that apply to us more than other passages, correct? Now, I feel bad. I mean, I feel badly about a lot of things when I look back at my ministry. I really do. I feel badly sometimes that I haven't preached more from the Old Testament, but I know why I don't. Because the New Testament, I mean, you have to all the way through the New Testament. I mean, it is application for us in the church age, and that's where we're living now. And so I know I've preached through some books in the Old Testament. I surely have gone back and quoted from the Old Testament many times and preached messages from the Old Testament. But by far, I've preached more messages from the Gospels and the Epistles than I have the Old Testament. And that's because, listen, we're getting closer and closer to the return of the Lord. And what we read in Ephesians tonight is vitally important to us. So it may, and we can't say, well, this is the most important passage in the whole Bible, or it's, this verse is better than another verse. But as far as applying to us, something for us to get a hold of and, and help change our lives, I mean, here it is. And what a shame when you think about this. This is such a powerfully important, it's a vitally important passage of Scripture for every Christian. And I think we would be surprised how many true believers don't even know anything about these verses. They've never read these verses. They've never heard these verses. Of course, they've never memorized these verses. 
They've never meditated upon these verses. They're just in the Bible. And they don't even realize they're there. And I say, whoa, no wonder we have the problems we have today because people do not understand these, the vitally important passage of Scripture like we have in Ephesians chapter 6, especially verses 10 through 18. So the Christian life is not a Sunday school picnic. It's not a just-for-fun just game. It's not a just-for-fun sport. You know, some of us are more competitive. Than I, I admit I am highly competitive when it comes to sports. One of the hardest things I do is play golf with Brother Frank and try to remind myself, Larry, it doesn't matter if Frank wins. He's your dear friend. Been my friend for many years. He has served the Lord so many years. I think I don't, none of us will know until we get to heaven how many rewards there are for this man who as a retired person has given his life to serve the Lord and serve this local church. And if you ever forget about that, I'll remind you. I mean, I thought one day this week he came out here and he was out, he was out mowing. He started early in the morning, he was still mowing late in the afternoon, mowed the front, mowed the sides, mowed the back, and who knows. I mean, that's, that's typical for him. And we go play golf. I just, hey, look, I'm telling you, I want to win. That's just me. But I keep reminding myself, hey, buddy, hey, listen, this is your friend. He's your fellow Christian, and there's more important things in life than beating Frank in golf. Now, I don't miss shots in, on purpose. I don't do that. I don't try to make Frank feel good by blowing a couple of shots. I did that one time with Pastor John. I felt so sorry for him that I ended up losing, and I felt worse, okay? So I don't, I don't give away shots, but I'm just telling you, I'm a pretty competitive person. That's just the way it is. But um, this is, when it comes to uh, the Christian warfare, this is something to be pretty serious about. It's to be pretty competitive about because Satan is the person that we're fighting against, and we ought to be serious about winning that battle. So what's it all about? It's not just a fun game. How many of you like to play? Now, don't, I'm not going to bash you, so don't, don't, don't lie. How many of you enjoy playing video games? Would you raise your hand? That's most of you. Children and teenagers were unanimous on that, okay? Is it always for fun? <laughs> say, well, not always, okay. Well, it, it's still, would you admit it's a video game, okay? <laughs> if you lose, it's not the end of the world. It's not a big deal if you lose. But now when you talk about Ephesians 6, 10 through following, this is a big deal. This is a win or lose deal. Somebody's victorious and somebody's defeated, and that is, that is very, very important. And so it's all about what is this all about? What's this conflict all about? I like to put it this way. It's all about whether or not we will experience the victorious Christian life that God desires for us to have. God wants to live, God wants every Christian to daily live a victorious Christian life. He wants us to live what is called the abundant life. What, John 10, 10? Jesus said, I am come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. He doesn't just want us to have just this, you know, typical whatever Christian life, however it turns out. He wants us to have not just everlasting life. He wants us to have life abundantly. And this is all about winning or losing in this daily having an abundant life. God wants us to live a life, obviously, living in the will of God. As we saw already in this passage in Ephesians 5, God wants us to live the Spirit-filled life. Be not drunk with wine or success, but be continually being filled with the Spirit. God wants us to be experiencing the fullness of the Spirit every single day of our Christian life. And God wants us, boys, please don't talk back there. Boys, uh-uh. You've been talking most of the message, please. Don't do that anymore, would you please? Okay, no talking. Okay? God wants us to experience the joy and blessing of the Christian life. He wants us to have, God wants us to have a testimony 
that leads others to him, that brings salvation to those who are without the Lord. You could summarize it all. You can say it with me. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all. That's what he wants. I'm so thankful for the Wilds Christian Camp and all the years we were able to go to the Wilds. And before every meal, three times a day, to hear hundreds and hundreds of campers saying, whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. That is why God saved us, not just to keep us out of hell, not just to keep us from damnation. He saved us that we might, as I said, live this abundant life. And he says, let your light so shine before men that, uh, that others, men, may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So we do everything to the glory of God. That's what the Christian life is all about. And listen, on any given day, we either, we either do that or we don't. Jesus Christ is the, the victor. We're the victors through him. Or Satan wins out. This is what this battle is all about. I like to summarize it this way. Satan endeavors to keep us from enjoying a continual, wonderful, close relationship with Jesus Christ ourself and also to keep us from having an impact on an unsaved world. And now let me say all this then by way of introduction also that our battle is really, it's not mainly about actions and activities. We tend to think it is. We tend to focus on the actions of the activities. But the battle really is, is in the mind, it's in the heart. It, it, it's, it's, it's what we think about. It's what we desire. It's, it, it's, really, it's really in our innermost being. It's an internal battle that usually manifests itself with some kind of outward manifestation or some kind of, okay, so what's happening? In other words, if I go someplace that I should not go to on a Friday night, if I just say, okay, Friday night, you know, I've never done this before. I've always kind of thought it was wrong, but it just kind of sounds like fun, you know, and some Christians go, some don't, you know, so I don't know. I've never been there. I felt for different reasons I shouldn't go, but I'll tell you what, this Friday night, I'm just going to go so-and-so place and do so-and-so. Hey, listen, that is a big deal, going someplace on a Friday night and doing something, and whether that something at that place is right or wrong, that's a big deal, but that's really not the big issue. The issue is, why do I even care if I go or not? Why do I care if it's right or wrong? Why do I care it affects me or how it doesn't affect me? Why do I care about how it affects other people? Why would I even think about the Lord Jesus Christ in heaven? And does this reflect my relationship with him and my gratitude to him for all that he's done for me? And a host of other questions or issues. Those things are what's really important. And it's those things that help me decide, do I go there and do that or do I not? So really, the thinking and the hard attitude is where the battle is long before you get in your car and decide to go someplace. I know when I, when I work with teenagers, I really one of the things I encourage teenagers about, about having the right kind of friends, and I, I base it on 1 Corinthians 10, what, uh, or 1 Corinthians 15, 33, be not deceived, evil companions corrupt good morals. Uh, verse in Proverbs, I think it was 13, 20, perhaps, he that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. Proverbs chapter 1, verses like 6 through 10, my son, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not, say no. I used to tell a teenager, you know, one reason, not the only reason, but one reason you ought to choose your friends carefully and determine by the grace of God you will be around godly Christian young people your age is because many of your decisions 
about what to do or what not to do will be made before they even make a suggestion. But when they make a suggestion, that will help or hinder you. That will either increase the fight or it'll, it'll help you relax. So you need to know what the Bible says. You need to know what's right, what's wrong. You need to understand the will of God for your life. And, and you need to understand what is pleasing to the Lord. And as I've preached many times, what are some questions you can ask yourself to sort out whether any activity is right or wrong. And you set that, you, you determine those things in your heart like Daniel, purpose in his heart, he would not defile himself uh, with the king's meeting, drinking his wine and so forth. But then you go on top of that, hey, listen, choose your friends carefully. They will either help you in your struggle or they will hinder you in your struggle because friends have a huge influence on others. We know that that's true. So we take this passage in Ephesians chapter 6, and we can divide actually verses uh, 10 through 17. We can put it in three different points, okay? Let me give you three E's and then three A's. If you like the E's, okay, then you have, first of all, you have exhortation, and there are three things that God exhorts us to do, exhortation. And then you have the enemy will be the second point, the enemy, that's Satan and his demons. And then you finally you have the equipment, see, the exhortation, the enemy, and the equipment, which is our armor, okay? If you prefer some A's, then you've got A, uh, verse 10 and 11. Uh, you've, got, uh, you, you've got admonition. The verses that follow, you've got the adversary. And then the last section, you, of course, have the armor. So you've got the admonition, the enemy, and the armor, or the exhortation, excuse me, the admonition, the adversary, or the army, or you've got the exhortation, the enemy, or the equipment. So let's go with the first of the, let's go with the exhortation. Okay, the exhortation. There are three points God exhorts us to. Three things that God exhorts us to do. Number one, he says in verse 10, finally, my brethren, here's the first one. God exhorts us, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. The verb be strong is in the present tense. What does that mean? It means continually be strengthened. I mean, we, we really cannot let up. There's a lot of things in life, you know, you can kind of let up for a while, but when it comes to spiritual warfare, there's no letting up. It is a continual battle. You know that's true if you're serious about living for the Lord. And so God says, finally, my brethren, be strong, present tense. Be continually strengthened. Don't even think of letting up for even a minute. And then also notice, please, it's in the passive voice. You say, what does that mean? Be passive about it? No, it doesn't mean that at all. It's in the passive voice, which means literally the action has to come to us. So it's be strengthened. Finally, my brethren, be strengthened in the Lord. You say, why is that important? Because we, don't, we not only don't have the power of our own, but we can't get it. We can't get it on our own. If we're ever going to be strong in the Lord, it's going to have to be not because we naturally would or we can pull this off. It's because it's really be strengthened in the Lord. God has to strengthen us in himself. It's, it's passive voice. And God wants to do it. He can do that and he wants to do that. You know Philippians 4.13? Can you say Philippians 4.13 with me? I can do all things through Christ who strengtheneth me. It's that same principle, strengtheneth. In fact, it's the very same word, of course, as the word strong here. And you know what it really means? Listen, it's enabling power. I can do all things through Christ who enables me. He gives me enabling power, but it's his power. He's the one who does the enabling. Now, in that context, remember, it's about... Uh, uh, living with a little or living with a lot. Remember, Paul said, I've learned in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. 
I've learned when the offerings, can I paraphrase? He said, I've learned when the offerings come in and churches support me, I can do just fine. But when the offerings are a little low and there's no funds coming in and I don't really have much, I can do fine then too. He said, I, whether I'm abounding or I'm a base, it doesn't matter. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's the context. In the context here, it's not about finances. It's not about living with a little or a lot. It's just about the spiritual battle that's raging and how am I ever going to be victorious? And God says, you better start by thinking about the fact of where's your strength. Finding my brethren, be strong in the Lord. Does that remind us also of Joshua 1.9? As Joshua's taken over now for Moses who died, getting ready to enter the promised land, very first chapter of Joshua and verse 9, God says to Joshua, have not I commanded thee? You tell me, be, be strong and of good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. Why? For the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. I mean, Joshua and the Israelites about getting ready to, to, to cross the Jordan River and to go into Canaan. I mean, that's, that's battle time. That's war time. I mean, the enemy's not just going to fall over dead. Getting, you know, God said, to, he begins that chapter by saying, listen, I've given you the land as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. He says, every place that the sole of your foot treads on, that have I given you. I'm going to give it to you, but you got to go in and fight. But don't be discouraged. Don't be afraid. Have not I commanded thee? You be strong. You be of a good courage. Because he said, I'm going with you. I'm going ahead of you. I'm going with you. I will be with you, and you will be victorious. Joshua 1.9, great parallel verse. We must recognize that we are deficient. We must recognize our deficiency and God's sufficiency. And the secret, really, of all spiritual blessings and, and victory, rather, as you know, is how are we doing about being crucified together with Christ? Nevertheless, I live yet, not I, but Christ liveth in me. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And then you think of Galatians 5, 16 and 17. This I say then, walk in the Spirit and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts, it craves against the spirit. The spirit against the flesh. There's an inner war going on. And these are the, the adversaries that one to the other. So you can't do what you want. It's the same way in the spiritual battle against Satan. There's this continual conflict that's going on. This continual war. And God says, I'll tell you where you have to start. You better be strengthened in the Lord. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. Notice, please, in the Lord. Not just be strong. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. In the Lord and the power of his might. As we said before, it's got to be our strength and power. has got to be of the Lord. It's in him. We don't have this power in ourselves. By the way, I like this. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. The word power there is the very same word that has reference to. It's used in all of the miracles that Jesus performed. He did many mighty miracles and wonders and powers and so forth. It's the, it's the power that Jesus Christ had. As Brother Jason, in a wonderful message this morning, how, how Jesus could say, peace, be still, peace, be muzzled, and the storm and the, the, the wind and the, quits blowing and the waves keep beating, and it's like perfectly calm. You say, well, now that's power. You like to try that? We can't pull that off. You see, that's the idea here is of, of Jesus. Listen, every miracle that Jesus performed was basically so powerful that nothing could resist it. it, it was, it's power that overcomes all resistance. You can think of every miracle. If we had a Wednesday, if it was a Wednesday night Bible study or Sunday school class, I'd say, come on, tell me some miracle that Jesus performed. And we'd have hands going up every place and we'd say, listen, did it take any more power to do one than the other? And we'd all have to say what? 
No, it's the same power, same person, and it's his own power. But it's power that, that overcomes any resistance whatsoever, and that's the same idea of the power here. This is the mighty power of God. When God says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. It is, I mean, it is literally the power of Jesus Christ, that power that he had to perform these miracles. And by the way, we're so close. Go back to Ephesians 1. We saw this back in chapter 1, did we not? Go back to Ephesians chapter 1 and look at verses, um, why don't we start at um, 15. Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, I cease not to give thanks for you, Paul said to these believers in Ephesus, making mention of you in my prayers. What's he praying? That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saint and what is the exceeding, here it is, watch this now, and I want you, I'm praying that you will know what is the exceeding greatness of his, next word please, his power. I'm praying that you uh, believers here in, in, in Ephesus, you will come to experience the exceeding greatness, not just his power, but the exceeding, the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe. According to the working of his mighty power, you say, well, what kind of power is he talking about? How much power is available for us? Verse 20, the power which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. Do you see what kind of power we're talking about here? When God says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and then the power of his might. I mean, this is, this is resurrection power. And somebody says, and I'm sorry, but once in a while I hear somebody say, well, I just, I just, I just couldn't help it, I just did that. And I said, well, you don't have to do that. Well, if you just knew me, I just have to do that. I just have a weakness there, you know. If you just knew my background, if you understood my family, if you knew a little bit more about my personality, you know, and if you knew some of the struggles I go through, you would see how, you know, I just really, I mean, I just really, I didn't have a choice. I mean, it's just, it's just the way it is. I'm sorry, that is not true. We have, if we're a Christian now, if we're not a believer, then this is not for you, okay? You need to be saved. But if you're a Christian, then we have the very power that God exercised to raise his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, from the grave. That power is within us. And Paul says to the Ephesian Christians, I'm praying that you will live with that power in your life. And that takes us right back again to Ephesians chapter 6 when God says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. Uh, Jason shared last night, somebody asked a question. Uh, do you have a, I'd like to know maybe one or two of your favorite verses of Scripture. That was a very good question. And immediately Jason said, my favorite verse of Scripture is, do you remember? Philippians 3.10. What's that? That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Paul says, that's, that's, my, that's my prime desire. More than anything else, I want to, I want, and Jason mentioned this last night, I want, to, I want to know Christ personally, experientially. It's a relationship thing. It's just not this knowledge thing. I want to experience his power in my life that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. That's what this power is all about. And remember also, back there, we already quoted Joshua 1.9, remember? We saw the word there, be strong. Okay, now this is be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. 
So we go back to that verse there in, in Joshua, and, it's, and God says, Have not I commanded to be strong of your courage? Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. Why? For the Lord thy God is with thee wherever you're going. So you will have my power at your disposal because with my presence comes my power as you walk in obedience. That's the first exhortation, he says, be strong in the Lord. Number two, this is real short goes like this. Look at verse 11. Verse 10, finding my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Here's the second exhortation. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. We will say more about the armor later. That, that section will follow. But I want to mention this. We'll go to our third thing, okay? Before we ever think seriously about this armor and whether or not we're going to put it on, we better come to realize there's a reason for needing the armor. I already quoted 1 Corinthians 10, verse 12. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth, take heed lest he fall. In these next few verses, we ought to get the point very well. Before we leave tonight, we should all understand we need the armor of God. We are, we are foolish to think that we're going to go out to battle any day of our lives as a Christian and be victorious without the armor that God provides. So the armor is very, very important. 30 tonight, first of all, he says, exhortation number one, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Exhortation number two, put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Now, exhortation number three, he says, look at verse 14. I'll go ahead and quote, I'll read uh, 12 and 13, but look, if you will, please, 12, 13, and 14. Verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Why? For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. We'll talk about that next, not tonight. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness. I want to read those two verses again, and then you tell me what you think happens to be a key word that occurs more than one time. Okay, here we go, beginning at verse 13. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth. Is that enough? What's the key word? Stand. Stand. Number one. Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Number two, put on the whole armor of God. Number three, stand. Stand. God tells us in verse 11, stand against. What is this all about? God tells us to stand and fight, not to run and hide. Is it easy to run, yes or no? It is easy to run. It's the chicken thing to do, but it's the easy thing to do. And usually there will be somebody that will run away with you. You can find somebody that will see it your way and help you go the wrong way. God says, no, don't, don't run away. He says, don't hide. And, and don't fall over, okay? Don't bow down. Stand against, verse 11. Verse 13, withstand. Verse 13, stand. Verse 14, stand again. Simply means standing up. That's all. It's standing up. You know, you don't, it, 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 you don't have to be a genius to, to, to find the word stand. I could ask the, the youngest child here, what does it mean to stand? And he'd probably say, well, it's, does, it means you don't uh, sit down or lie down. You stand. 
Well, the same thing is true spiritually. In, a, in the dictionary of the Bible, to stand means to stand. Just simply as that, it means to stand. Don't kneel down, don't fall down, don't lie down, stand. Simply stand. And so you can think about it this way. If we're listening to God's admonition, if we're uh, taking his exhortation here and following along, to be strong, Lord, in the power of his might, put on the whole armor of God, and, and then we stand and we not run. Listen, what he's saying is you can be victorious. You will be victorious. And when the, when the, when the dust of the battle, so to speak, settles, you will not be lying in the dust, and you won't be missing someplace, and, and you won't be buried in the sand. You will be still standing. You will be there standing. That's what this is all about. That ought to remind us of another passage. We're almost finished. Would you go, please, to 1 Peter chapter 5? There's a parallel passage here. I, I could quote it for you, but I really would like to have you turn to it because every once in a while I see somebody with their pen. I get really excited when I see somebody with their pen, and I know they're not writing a letter to their girlfriend. I pray they're not. I, I, I think they must be taking some notes about the message, or maybe they're underlining or highlighting something in their Bible. And so perhaps I quote too many verses instead of letting you turn to them. But would you go to Ephesians, excuse me, would you go to 1 Peter chapter 5? And when you look at verses 8 and 9, and as you think of what we've seen tonight already, and then this word stand and withstand, surely you remember this passage of Scripture, 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. Look at the next verse. Whom, next word, resist. Whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren, which are in the world. He says, be sober. Be really serious. Be sincere. Be sober. Be vigilant. Be on the watch. Be alert. Why? Because your adversary, your enemy, the devil, just like a roaring lion, he is walking about, stalking his prey, and he says, whom resist, resist him, resist him steadfast in the faith. Resist, same Greek word as withstand in, in our verse, in, in, in verse 11 tonight, the word withstand in Ephesians 6, same Greek word for the word resist in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 9. By the way, it's the same word found in another passage. We're so close, go back one book to the book of James. James chapter 4, verse 7. Let's read this one out loud. You know this verse, don't you? You read it or quote it. Here we go. James 4, 7. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. There's that word resist again. See, remember, 1 Peter 5, 8, whom resist steadfast in the faith. I said same word as our word strengthen, be strong, or withstand, rather. The same word withstand back there in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11. It's that same word here in James 4 when he says, first of all, so you better submit yourself to the Lord. It's like be strong in the Lord, submit yourself to the Lord, submit yourself to the Lord. And then he says, resist, stand against, withstand, stand against, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Now listen, folks, somebody's thinking, that that's not true. I resisted Satan a lot and he didn't go away. I mean, in fact, I lost. No, I, all I can do is quote the Bible and tell you what it says, okay? God says, submit yourselves to the Lord. Resist the devil, draw nigh to God, he will draw nigh to you. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Submit yourself, therefore, unto God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So God says you need to stand against. Don't run, don't hide, don't fall over, don't anything else. Just stand against. Stand against. We're not told to attack the devil. You say, well, I'm going I'm to attack Satan. 
I'll tell you what I'm doing. I'm going to get up tomorrow. And from the day I get up to the time I, till I go to bed at night, I'm on the aggressive. I'm going to attack. I'm going to attack Satan. Then you sit down and try to think of some different ways you can attack Satan. You don't have to think of some different ways to attack Satan. The better idea is to wake up in the morning and say, I don't know what Satan's going to throw at me today. I don't know how he's going to attack me. But I know he doesn't, he's not for me because he's not for my Lord. I know he is absolutely against me. And I know that he will try anything and everything he can to get me out of the will of God, to get me to disobey the Bible, to get me to change my belief about something or to be overcome with fear or discouragement or to say something I shouldn't say or to have some thoughts go through my mind that I shouldn't have. I don't know what he's going to do today, but he will be on the attack. He will attack me today. And you know what? I better be strong in the Lord, in the power of his might. I better find out what this armor is all about. I better put on the armor of God. Because I'm determined by God's grace, I'll do the third thing. I will stand. I will withstand. I will fight against as he comes to me. Would you close your Bibles, please, and bow your heads, if you will. There's a spiritual war going on every day, every moment of our lives. And it's a serious thing. It's not only serious for our benefit, how we turn out, although that's important. How I survive another day, although that's important. But because it is a spiritual battle, it's really, it's really, ultimately, it's a war between Satan and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And we want the Lord to be victorious through us. We want to represent him well. We want to honor him. We want to bring glory to him. We want others to see him for who he is. What a shame today. The average unsaved person has no idea what Jesus Christ is like because he's seen so many people who have said they are Christians, Christ-like, Christ-ones, and that doesn't leave a really good impression on them. And they think, why would I need this Christ? Who is this Jesus anyway? He hasn't done much for them. He's no different than I am. He said, I don't want that to happen. I want to be victorious in my life so that my relationship with Christ is right. But I also want to be victorious in my life, not only so my relationship with Christ is right, but so that others who are not saved will be drawn to him like, like a, a magnet and not be pushed away, repulsed. Would you stand with me, please, tonight? I ask what I ask after every message I preach. I just ask, would you talk with the Lord about what you've heard tonight? Spiritually, where are you? Where are you in your relationship with the Lord? Are you strong in the Lord? Or are you spiritually weak? Are you depending on your own strength? Or is it being strong in the Lord? If you know anything about the armor that he then goes and Details, do you, do you feel like you have on the armor or you're missing some equipment here? And then how are you doing about standing? How's your determination? Look, I will stand. I will withstand. I will resist. I will not give in. One of the greatest things, biggest attempts of Satan, he does the same thing with us that he did with the Lord Jesus Christ. 
He wants us to just in, act independently of God just one time. Just one time today, just act independently of God. Just don't exercise your will toward him, but get it on your own. So tonight, what is God speaking to you about? Before we close our service in prayer, I invite you to talk with the Lord. Would you do that, please, while our pianist plays a verse of a song? Just open your heart to the Lord. Open your heart to the Lord. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. Stand. Okay. I, I tell you what, I don't know how to end our service better than to sing the verse of that. What number is that? 577. We've sung it a few times in church. Our choir has sung an arrangement of that. So why don't we just sing the first verse tonight before we go, okay? 577, is that what you said? 577, be strong in the Lord. I think we know where it comes from. Would you look underneath the title of the song, Be Strong in the Lord, page 577. What does it say? Find my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might, Ephesians 610. So we're going to sing an appropriate song to close with tonight, okay? And let's sing it with all of our heart. Let's do that. Don't sing be strong like a weakling now, okay? Here we go together. Ready? Be strong in the Lord. And be of good courage, your mighty defender is always the same. Mount up with wings as the eagle ascending. Victory is sure when you call on his name. Be strong, be strong. Be strong in the Lord and be of good courage for he is your God. Be strong, be strong, be strong in the Lord and rejoice for the victory is yours. Well, I pray the message will help us when we get home tonight. And uh, if God gives us Monday, Tuesday, throughout the week, I hope that many times this week, just these couple, three verses here will come to our minds. All right, Brother Daniel, you're the closest to me. You can close in prayer. Amen. Don't forget four and five-year-olds, if you will, please head out to your Sunday school classroom just for a little while.